Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. What a wonderful period of singing and worship already. If you would be open your Bibles to Matthew the 13th chapter. Matthew the 13th chapter, we're going to continue with a similar theme of this morning except back up before that lesson and kind of lay some groundwork that hopefully would cause all of us that were here this morning to appreciate that particular story even greater. Uh, when we see the three previous stories, it should make us appreciate the fourth one even more. As uh, we think about the many ways that God blesses us, uh, we appreciate each one that participated this weekend in the campaign at Beach Grove. Several of you uh, went Friday uh, and or Saturday, and much good was done, much encouraging was done, much inviting was done to help make their campaign a great success. Uh, let's continue to pray for that gospel meeting that will be taking place this week there. And then let's also be praying for our group that's in uh, Ukraine right now. And what a blessing it is that God gives us so many wonderful opportunities and we all can be prayer warriors on behalf of these good causes. Most of us have seen Sesame Street and, and we've seen the little game that is sung on Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. And that picture is not just real clear, but... But you could possibly, from where you're sitting, see that Cookie Monster there has two, plate, two cookies on each plate, except for one particular plate, has three cookies. Now, as we think about that game that we saw on television the years that we were growing up and, and how we learned that, that there are some things different, I was reminded of that as I looked the way there were four stories linked together coming out of the end of Matthew the 13th chapter and going into the 14th chapter. And three of those stories were just alike, but one was so different. Three of the stories had so many negative things taking place. Three of the stories showed Jesus walking away from people. And one story showed Jesus walking to people. Three stories didn't show a lot of power, except for one shows a little bit, but even Jesus becomes discouraged with that by the next day. And the greatest power that we see that Jesus displayed was in that fourth story. You see, in this we see contrast, and yet we see conforming. Tonight, I want us to look at a day in Jesus' life. And I want us to see throughout these few days, really, that we'll study here, a group or various groups of people. Which one would be most like us? As we begin this, I want to go ahead and lay this out for you so that we can be asking ourselves as we study this, and this is where we'll end tonight also. If I've painted a picture in my mind that Jesus is just always drawing near to us and he's always running to us and he's always working in a powerful way in our life no matter what i haven't read the scriptures very much we see jesus just about as often walking away from people and not working powerful things in their life because jesus never forced his way into anyone's life and so as we see this unfold this evening, I need to ask myself, am I even giving Jesus an opportunity to work in my life? I talk about that I want to draw near to God, but God's not going to draw near to me if I'm not willing to draw near to Him. 
And so tonight I'd do well to make sure in my own life that I'm living a life that Jesus can draw near to. Because in these stories we'll find out Jesus is just as quick to walk away from us if we're willing to walk away from Him. Let's look in the Matthew the 13th chapter. We're looking at verse 53. Matthew the 13th chapter beginning at 53. We see Nazareth here. Jesus is on His way back home. He's finished teaching the parables in Matthew the 13th chapter. And now we read in verse 54, When He had come to His own country, He taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not mother, His mother called Mary and His brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And His sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Note verse 57 and 58. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What is it like for you to go home? You know, this past week, I had the opportunity, Sunday through Wednesday, to hold a gospel meeting in the little congregation that I grew up in. Now, it's interesting going home. I don't suggest to you that I'm Jesus by any stretch of the imagination or even a prophet, but yet that principle that he provides there that a prophet that goes home is not going to receive the same honor if he goes elsewhere. That's true. That's true. I was reminded one night before the whole congregation by one of the song leaders of the little congregation that I was the one that rode the horse across the porch steps and ripped the carpet. Right there in the middle of worship, I was reminded of that. After the gospel meeting was over, one of the elders, really a few of the elders, I was meeting with them and and, uh, they were they were encouraging me, and, and one of them even said, you know, and he was serious. He wasn't joking at all. So straight-faced, he said, I just can't believe how much you've matured. Hearing you preach, I just can't believe that was you. He wasn't laughing. He was serious. He couldn't believe that that little scrawny kid that bounced all over the community on horses and motorcycles and up and down the creeks, that, that he was the one preaching. You know, it's hard for people to ever look beyond your youth when that's where you've grown up. Now listen, they didn't lose anything in their life at Brushy this past week, not being able to view me more than that young boy that grew up there. But these people in Nazareth, they were about to lose everything of value. You see, if you'll look back again, if you have your Bible open, did you notice at 54? They were astonished at him. It wasn't that they just had no reason to be impressed. They'd heard his teachings and they'd heard about the mighty works. And the scripture says they were astonished about him. But what they couldn't get past is the very next verse. They worked down through the whole family. 55, they said, wait a minute, this is a carpenter's son. This is Joseph's son. Wait a minute, this is Mary's son. Wait a minute, we know his brothers. They listed them by name. Not only that, they said we know his sisters and they still live about us. How could someone 
that we've known him from the time that he was a baby, how could he speak in ways that we're not able to speak? How could he perform miracles in ways that we can't perform miracles? Now you see, they had to do something at this moment. They had to decide if they were going to believe in the power of Jesus or if they would reject him. And it was at this moment that he said there in 57, so they were offended at him. And notice what Jesus' response was in 58. He didn't do many mighty powers and miracles there. Jesus never forced himself upon people. Please imagine being able to go back home. This past week, I, oh, I saw so many wonderful people that are part of my past. Part of the present when I'm able to visit them. But I thought about Jesus here. Don't you know that there were some miracles that He wanted to work? Don't you know that as Jesus' miracles oftentimes were healing the sick, don't you know that as he went into town there and, and he saw maybe some of his neighbors that when he was younger, they were such good neighbors to him and now they were old and now they were stricken maybe with disease. Or maybe there was that neighbor that all of their life, they, he, he or she had that infirmity in their life. And can you imagine Jesus thinking, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to preach. And in order to confirm my word, I'm going to pick out some of those people that I love so much and I'm going to heal them of their sickness and people are going to believe in me. And he didn't have the opportunity to do it. The people that he knew best, he wasn't able to help them because they felt like they knew him too well. Listen to the irony of that. They felt like they knew Jesus too well. Tonight, I need to challenge myself. What is my understanding of Jesus? Is it based solely upon what my parents always thought or believed or practiced? And if that's the case, what if my parents weren't right? What if my parents always kept Jesus at a distance and, and they never allowed Him to be Lord of their life? They only affirmed that he did live and that he was a good religious symbol and that because they were religious people, they'd go on Sunday and they'd sit among religious people and that's all Jesus was to them. Friends, are you willing to make Jesus more than maybe what first meets your eye? You see, in Nazareth, they weren't willing to do that. And because of that, he rejected them and walked away from them. As I think about the physical, here in this text, they looked at him physically. They thought they knew who he was physically, so therefore he couldn't be who he claims to be spiritually. It reminds me of a couple of passages. I hope you have your Bibles open. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. As we look at 2 Corinthians 4, let's read quickly two or three passages here just to make this point, and then we've got to go right back to the other text so that we can finish tonight. But as we think about the physical versus the spiritual and what we concentrate on and what we view, think about these passages. 2 Corinthians the fourth chapter, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. 
How are you aging? If the Lord wills time, all of us are going to grow old. How are you going to age? As your body outwardly starts to have problems and disease, will your inner man or woman be stronger than ever? What about here? He writes about persecution. If outwardly we suffer things that simply are not fair or righteous, but yet we suffer them, will we get down? And will we declare that life's not fair? And will we throw up our hands and say, where is God? Or will we be able to say what Paul says here? Notice the rest of this. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. And that's interesting that Paul, with all he went through, called it light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and it was through many years of his life, but he's comparing it to eternity. He says, but for a moment is working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen. And you see, Nazareth, all they could do is look at the things that were seen. We've seen his mama, what they thought was his daddy. We've seen his brothers, his sisters still live among us. They couldn't look beyond what was seen. But at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. What a powerful teaching to urge us to live by faith and not by sight, even when it is our physical body that's going through difficulties. He's saying, even then, look to the inner person and be stronger and stronger and stronger, even if the outer person is growing weaker and weaker and weaker. I want to be able to do that. And I can only imagine the challenge that it may be. But friends, that is our goal as spiritual beings. Skip over in your Bible just a a few paragraphs. The fifth chapter, notice verse 6, 7, and 8 of the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yet, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body, and to be present with the Lord. Again, the emphasis on which one are we going to live for? Are we going to live for this body? Are we going to live for the things that we can see? Are we going to live for the temporary things? Are we going to live by faith? Are we going to live for God? Are we going to live for the eternal things? It's a decision that I have to make. And friends, it may sound too basic, but this is the whole problem with Nazareth. They wanted to see Jesus. And understand him only as a man. And they were missing out on the eternal blessings. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. There is a powerful word in here, and that word is witness. Look in the 12th chapter in verse 1. We've had the great chapter of faith, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, all of these heroes of faith listed. And no doubt as we read those and and we close that chapter, we're saying to ourselves, I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of faith. And, And just ignore the chapter break for a moment. And here are the words, here are the sentences that come out of the great chapter of faith. Look at 12 and 1. Therefore, tying together the chapter of faith to this, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But notice it's not a, it's not a temporal race. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
We're running a race that is about faith. And we lay aside the things that would hinder our faith. But where's the encouragement? I need encouragement. You need encouragement. Where's the encouragement? The Hebrew writer says, there's a cloud of witnesses around you. Do you know what the root of the word witness is in the Greek? It's the same word that martyr comes from in its root. You see, the idea of a witness as it's used in the Scripture is one that will stand by. You know, if you're an eyewitness to a, a car accident, you know the facts. Someone says, well, will you testify to those facts? Yes, I'm an eyewitness. I'll testify to those facts. Well, if someone was a witness, in other words, they knew Jesus Christ. They had a firm conviction in Jesus Christ. The question is, would they give their life for it? That's the crowd of witnesses. Those that would be willing to die for God that surround us encouraging us, just like we think of a stadium cheering on those that are active in the middle of the field. Here we are on this earth, and there are clouds of witnesses, those that have gone before saying, I'd give my all for God, and they have already. And so now they're still cheering us on, saying, give your all for God. Nazareth wouldn't do that. Let's go back now to our text in Matthew, and this time we're going to look in the 14th chapter. We finished up the 13th chapter there. And notice the 14th chapter, which, by the way, is about John the Baptist being beheaded, but that's just the story that lies in the background to help us better understand it. We really don't have time tonight to develop that story, but what I need to see tonight is about Herod. What is Herod going to do with Jesus? Herod's already beheaded John and really didn't feel good about it. He made a rash oath and he decided to keep that oath even though in the 14th chapter in verse 7 it speaks of that oath and in verse 9 he says the king was sorry. In other words, he regretted what he, was, what he did in taking John's life. And so now he's carrying the guilt of this. And notice verse 1 and 2 of John 14. At the time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants... This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Now, the following verses are simply background so you and I can understand why he was so concerned about John and his possible resurrection. He had him put to death, and perhaps his fear was John would strike back at him. That's background. If you take that story, this background out, the next part of this picks up in verse 13. When Jesus heard it, what did he hear? He heard that Herod thought that he was John resurrected from the dead. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Why didn't he draw near to Herod? Here's a man with a guilty conscience fear, and later we'll even learn curiosity. Look at two passages with me. Look to Luke the 13th chapter. Luke the 13th chapter, we see another time that Herod and him passed words through a messenger. And Luke the 13th chapter, we're going to pick up in verse 31, just to get a glimpse of what Herod and his relationship with Jesus would have been. Luke the 13th chapter 31, and on that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, 
Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So that's what kind of man Herod was. Had John put to death? Now he's saying he wants to kill you, Jesus? Now notice what Jesus does in 32 and 33. He said to them, go tell that fox. Now that was a very cruel cut down in their language. As a matter of fact, some of the Greek scholars even debate saying that the word that was chosen here was a feminine word, which would even make it more of a cut down. But he says, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day. And those days are symbolisms, uh, symbolism, speaking of time periods. And he says, I shall be perfected. In other words, completed. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. What was he telling Herod? He's telling Herod, I'm not worried about you at this moment. Now, he doesn't use these words, but he's saying, my hour's not come. I'm not going to die in the first day. I'm not going to die in the second day. I'm only going to die in the third day when it's my hour, when it's time for me to die. And by the way, Herod, I'm not going to die outside of Jerusalem. Just like so many other prophets have done, he calls himself a prophet here. This prophet's going to die in Jerusalem. That gives us some background of their relationship with each other. Now let's skip to the end of Jesus' life uh, just before the crucifixion. Luke, the 23rd chapter. You remember when the Jews took him to Pilate and Pilate found that he was a man of Galilee and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at this time instead of back up toward Galilee, which was his jurisdiction. And so when he found that out, Pilate found that out. Look in verse 8 of the 23rd chapter. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him. Isn't that interesting? Herod really wanted to see Jesus because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him in many words, but he answered him Nothing. The chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. And then Herod and Pilate finally became friends that day through Jesus' death. What a strange relationship. Herod had heard about him and said, This must be John the Baptist. Herod sent message, I want to kill you too. Jesus sends back word, you won't kill me now. I lived that third day, and it'll be in Jerusalem when I die. And of all things, just before his death, he's taken before Herod. And what does he say to him? Now for application, you've probably already picked up on this, but let's make it clear. Oh, I tell you what Jesus is going to do. He's going to talk to him about becoming a disciple of his. He's going to talk to him about becoming a follower because Jesus wants him to be saved. Yes, that last part's true. But what did he say to him? Nothing. You mean to tell me Jesus would be on this earth and he would correspond through messages and not talk about a man's soul and finally he would stand before him and still not say anything about his soul? That's right. Why? Herod had no respect for Jesus. 
He treated him with contempt through every message. And now, standing this day, he only viewed Jesus as a circus act. I've heard about you. I want to see those miracles that I keep hearing about. Friends, by application tonight, I need to ask myself, what draws me to Jesus? Am I drawn to Jesus because I love Him and I respect Him? Are there other things that draw me to Jesus? When we go back to our text, there's something powerful at this part in our text. We've already read it, but there in 13, the 14th chapter in verse 13, notice it said, when Jesus heard it, He departed from there by boat. Remember Nazareth? They couldn't see Him for who He was, so He worked no miracles, and He departed. Herod, He couldn't see Him for who He was, so what did He do? He departed from Him. And now we have the story in 14 through 21 of the 5,000 men plus the boys and girls and women that were fed the loaves and the fishes. And when we go into John the 6th chapter, as already mentioned this morning, in John the 6th chapter in verse 15, we read the fact, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and to take Him by force to make Him king, He departed again to the mountain by Himself alone. And remember, that's when He loaded the people, His disciples, upon the boat. And that's where they went into the contrary winds. And that's where Jesus walked out to them. And and we studied that story this morning. The next morning, when the disciples had finally made it to the other side and Jesus was there with them, these this group of probably ten to 15,000 people had walked all the way around the water, and now they're on the other side. And notice there's some things that precede this, but for time's sake, look at verse 25. And when they found him, talking about that mob of people, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, now pause right there. Oh, he's going to say, I'm so thankful you found me. I'm so thankful you're following me. Notice what he said. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. What were they doing? They were following Him because His food tasted good. It filled their physical appetites. That's why Jesus had walked away from them the night before. And now when they catch up with Him the next day, He calls them on the carpet and says, I know you. I can read your heart. I know what you're all about. If you could not have another physical blessing, would you still follow Jesus? What draws us to Jesus? These individuals He departed from. Now as we bring all this together and and try to do it in, in time efficiency here, and hopefully it makes sense. You remember the story this morning? He put the disciples in the boat, and He went up to pray that night. 
And when they finally got in the middle of the night and the winds were so hard blowing against them, do you remember that passage that says, and Jesus continued to depart from them? No. You remember what the passage says? He came to them, walking on water. Friends, we've read now four stories, and there's only one story that said Jesus came to them. We've read stories where He refused to continue to do mighty works. And not only did He come to them, He came to them in a mighty way, walking on water. And then when Peter was about to sink, He lifted him up. And when they got into the boat, He ceased the winds. And He helped them get to the other side. And other people... They wanted to crown him king on earth, and he refused that reign. But yet when he got in the boat, he accepted the fact that he had a spiritual reign and that he was the Son of God. Things that he refused to do and rejected among others were the very things that he was doing with these people. I'll come to you. I will reign over you. I'll work powerful things in your life. But Nazareth... I won't work powers in your life. Herod, I won't come to you. And you 5,000 plus people that are following me just for food, I won't be your king. Does that make sense? Friends, I've got to decide in my life of faith who Jesus is. Or I literally... Turn Jesus away from me. He never forces His way into an unfaithful heart. But thank God. He'll leave His time of quietness in a mountain and He'll walk on water to help a disciple in distress. He'll work powerful things in the lives of disciples. He'll reign in the lives of disciples. This evening, are you a disciple? Need to be baptized into Christ, or if you have and you need to come back and pray forgiveness, let's make sure that our life resembles the last story and not the first three stories. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.